You're listening to a sermon preached at Meridian Church. For more information about Meridian Church, visit meridianchurch.com. It is our hope that this sermon is used by the Holy Spirit to minister to you the grace and peace found in Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And now, here's your sermon audio. Good morning. I uh, was sick earlier this week, and I'm still not 100% back, so I had to bring myself a little table water in case I get into a coughing fit. But uh, it is good to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Our main focus this morning will be on verses 31 through 39, but we will begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it is does not submit into God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. He who who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. (coughs) So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but... If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the Spirit of, uh, for excuse me. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the Spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the Spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For (coughs) For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope and that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruptions and obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. 
<clears throat> For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we, we are served. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for, for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts and knows who, what the, is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom uh, he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also <coughs> justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring <coughs> who shall bring any charge against God at God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We, were, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor the things present nor things to come or, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation would be able to separate us, separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for these words of encouragement, Father, from, uh, from Paul, uh, Father, that you gave him to write to the, the church in Rome and, and to us, Father, and realizing, God, that it, that it all comes down to your love for us, our, a love that we don't deserve, Father, that we haven't earned, Father, but, Lord, that you have chosen to freely bestow on us. And, Lord, we thank you so much for that. And Lord, we pray now that you'll be with us uh, through the rest of this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first part of chapter 8, there in verses 1 through 30, is about the believer's security in Christ. And here <coughs> in the focal passage, Paul answers any concerns his readers still might have. Paul, Paul opens up the chapter with life in the Spirit moves on to the good news of believers being heirs with Christ, <clears throat> then reminds believers that even if they do suffer now, it's nothing compared to the glory of what lies ahead. 
Most of us adults, I would venture to say in here, have probably heard the phrase, if, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably what? It probably is. My favorite t- TV genre to watch is real crime st- stories. And, and every so often I see a show about people who sometimes fall victim to some type of scheme or scam because they didn't remind themselves of that phrase. Or how about when you get a piece of mail uh, that offers you a high reward with little or no risk or no risk on your part? You say, what's the catch? And start looking for the fine print. And then you get to uh, you get a get a mailer that says you can get a new 2021 F-150 for just three hundred and fifty dollars a month, and then the fine print says customers must pay two hundred fifty twenty percent down, and three hundred fifty dollars a month is based on a twelve a uh, hundred and twenty month uh, uh, contract with credit approval, and all of a sudden that's not does not sound like a good deal. You know you're in year eight, still paying uh, a monthly, uh, paying monthly uh, uh, dues on it, and to, to pay it off, and and you're taking it down to make three, four times a year because you, because to get work done on it because all the warranties are worn out on it, and uh, so so you you know so you're but so you know, so that's probably why. Paul anticipates these questions and tries to answer them in advance. You know, he may be thinking, you know, they're going to be looking for the fine print of this. It might sound too good to be true. They may be looking uh, for a catch, but it all comes down to God's everlasting love and the way that he shows and and bestows it through perseverance. You know, perseverance can be a controversial topic to those that believe the Christians can lose their salvation, a belief that can be found in many uh, denominations. But Paul and the rest of Scripture makes it abundantly clear that God does preserve those who are truly His. However, the reason that believers persevere in faith and obedience is not based on their own strength, on their own commitment, but that Christ through the Holy Spirit preserves them. I would like for us to take a look at three things this morning. As we answer the question, what exactly is God's love? How, you know... uh, you know how God's you know take a look through you know, how how God's love is uh, sacrificial, how God's love is strong, and how God's love is sealed, and how through that we can have the assurance of triumph over every influence of the church's preservation. Let's look here, starting in verse thirty-one. Um, Paul says, "What then shall we say to these things?" These things uh, he seems to be talking about is this free grace to lost sinner, uh, which I'm sure to the first century church uh, especially 
uh, might be hard to believe and sometimes for, for us to sometimes wrap our own minds around it. But when you grew up in the type of culture with church, uh, you know, religious culture that they did, even more so how uh, is free grace something that you didn't have to earn on your own. And so, you know, so he's asked, you know, you know, so what, what then can we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul's questions in several of his books that he wrote can be found in many places and they come with an assumed answer. Like this one here in verse 31 where he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He is talking, this is a church, so this is a letter to the church in Rome. So he's going on the assumption that they are all believers. So he is talking to believers so there is a kind of uh, parenthetical answer in there like, <coughs> if God is for us, and He is, who can be against us? Of course the answer is no one. Someone may even try, but they will not, um, they will follow walk. Well, <clears throat> they will woefully fall short because they can't. And Paul says why in verse 32. <clears throat> he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with, us, with him graciously give us all things? God did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. All. So Paul is saying, look, God sacrificed his own son for his glory and your salvation. Do you actually think he would allow someone to come along and mess that up? Do you think anyone is powerful enough to do that? He then goes on to ask if, if, um, if he gave up his son for us, wouldn't he also give us, give us out uh, his grace for everything else he has promised us. God's sacrifice of his son was the supreme gift. Then how much more so are the other gifts? Would he give the supreme gift to only fall short on the others? We see this again in First John in the passage that Byron read this morning in chapter 4 in verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> John writes, And this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so we might live through Him and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He had loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. <clears throat> you know, saving you was the hard part, 
providing for you and keeping you or not? The next question is, who will bring a charge against the elect? And who is there to condemn us? <coughs> God is the supreme judge and there is, no, uh, there is no higher authority. He has already dealt with all the charges against us for the death and resurrection of Christ. Christ has already paid the penalty for our sin. There is no return to the courtroom for us. There is no double jeopardy. No charges brought against us would stick. Jesus, <coughs> at the right hand of God, sits at the position of honor and authority, and He has already taken care of it. And He continually intercedes for us when we do now, even when we do sin. No one else has the authority to judge or condemn us. Here's a word of caution, though. Even if you don't belong to Him, He will still rightly judge you and justly condemn you. Moving on to verse 35. It says, from here, Paul goes on into talking about the separation from God and what could be barriers between us and God. It's, uh, he says, For who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Is a kind of, of, of human separation anxiety. If you ever left, left your young child with a babysitter or in the church nursery, and the child becomes extremely anxious, <coughs> and may become extremely upset because they don't know if you're coming back or not. This is the kind of the, uh, of the idea here. The feeling that something is going to happen that will cause the separation between God and us. But God's love is stronger than that. We are secure in Christ because of the power of God's love. Paul rattles off several things that, might, uh, that, that people might think that can separate us like tribulation, distress, persecution, nakedness, famine, danger, sword. Those things in and of themselves may be hard to bear but not through the love of God. As, as, as Christians, we will suffer in the earthly realm. There is no denying that. It's going to happen. That's why Paul includes Psalms 44, uh, 22 in, in verse 36. The author of the psalm is an innocent. He has done nothing wrong to deserve, as far as earthly concerns, uh, this treatment that uh, he is getting, he has done nothing wrong, uh, he is not guilty of anything, but yet, <clears throat> he is still suffering. Sometimes we suffer through, because of, due to sinful choices and decisions we make, and God disciplines us, but 
Christians can and do suffer even when they are innocent. But not even the most harshest suffering can separate us from the love of Christ. I've given this example before, but I think it bears mentioning again and remembering. You know, if you think about the most godly person you know, and ask yourself if they've had a life of ease, I would venture to say the answer is no. A life of ease doesn't make us more Christ-like. Suffering does. And therein lies one of the major problems with the prosperity gospel who want to believe the blessing is in the lack of conflict and the ease of life and the blessings of things. It's not what Christ endured. Christ did not have a life of ease. It's not what the Bible teaches. Paul's reference back to the Old Testament shows that suffering is expected and is not some random act uh, towards God's people. But in Christ, suffering becomes stepping stones on the pathway to glory. If you go back to verse 18, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory <coughs> of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the, chain, in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have been the first fruits of the Spirit grown innerly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. You know, look, I, you know, I get it. I'm just as bad as anybody else. I, you know, a life with as little conflict as possible sounds really nice. A life where the breaks always tend to go your way whether you deserve it or not. We may see people from a distance in church think they have a near-perfect life, but you can rest assured that they don't. They may not have your struggles, but that doesn't mean they don't have struggles. Notice verse 35. <clears throat> Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This doesn't talk about separating our love of Christ, but separating us from Christ's love. Of us. You know, separating our love of Christ is one thing, but they're talking about separating Christ's love for us, and that is completely and utterly impossible. You hear of one person 
in a relationship, fall out of love with the other person. But by saying that God cannot preserve those that are His is just like Jesus saying, I don't love you anymore. I think when you put it that way, I think it makes it sound like the most ludicrous statement ever said. Or at least it sounds like a country music song. Do we actually think Jesus would say, you know, I died for them, but if this certain thing happens, then I'm not going to love them anymore? I know something even more preposterous is the list contains things that we would not have had any control over anyway. Tribulation it refers to a common adversity toward all men, like the seven-year tribulation mentioned in Revelation. Distress refers to being helplessly hemmed in by one's circumstances. Persecution refers to suffering inflicted on us by people because of our relationship with Christ. And then there's famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. We have no control over any of those things. But you know who does? God. Paul is pointing out that the absurdity of their fears to give them hope. Paul is saying, God will allow these things to come into your life that would separate, is not saying they would not, I think, to come to your life that would separate you from them. You know, don't get me wrong, Paul's words here are not to belittle them or make them feel silly or, or sheepish but they are words of encouragement. They are meant to remove any anxiety that, that they or we might have when it comes to our relationship with God. There, are, there may be trouble to the left and trouble to the right, but that does not change our standing before God. Let's pick up now in verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Friends, if verse 37 doesn't rev your engine, then your soul's check engine light is probably on. As far as a list of things he just gave, none of them can touch you when it comes to your standing with God. Not only are we conquerors, we are more than conquerors. This is not some close one-point win, but total dominance and a blowout. This is the strength shown of endurance in the face of persecution and circumstances. But don't get lost on the more than, more than conquerors part without reading through the rest of the verse. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We didn't even fight the battle. Christ is for us, but we are getting the benefits from it. Paul writes the same thing to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great God we have. What a loving God we have. He then goes on to give another list of things that cannot separate us. But not only does he mention the physical things, 
but spiritual things as well, from everything from angels in heavens to demons below and everything else between. There is no aspect of all creation or any event can end the active love of God, the active love God has for us. With that said, we are not we are you know, to uh, we are not to uh, simply sit around and do nothing and just wait for uh, the reward that God that Christ has paid for. Our works before God do not save us, and they do not lead us to our salvation. Uh, the, our our own righteousness is as filthy rags. The Bible makes that very clear. But God's love should spur us on to good works. In fact, some of our works may lead to the things on, on either of the list, but we honor Him by doing them. But nothing will be able to separate us from God's love. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 tells us, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it through the praise of His glory. Many Bibles rightfully title the passage this morning as God's everlasting love. But I also like the Holman Christian Standard Version title. Their title is The Believer's Triumph. We triumph over any circumstances because of God's love and sacrifice. You know, many Bibles also put the title the triumphal entry on Matthew chapter 21 when Jesus enters into Jerusalem uh, on, uh, you know, shortly before his death on a donkey. Friends, through God's love, mercy, and grace, and through the persevering work of His Son, we will, with all humility, have a triumphal entry one day into God's kingdom. Going back to Ephesians, where he says, and uh, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. The word sealed there is important. It gives the connotation of a king's seal with it says signet ring. Once that, once that seal had been placed on a document, it cannot be undone. We see a perfect example of this in Esther. The king had already put his seal on the order to kill the Jews living in his land and not even he could revoke it, though he had been even though he had been deceived by Haman into doing it. So he tells Mordecai in Esther eight eight. The king tells Mordecai in Esther eight eight. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the same in the same of the king, and seal it with the king's ring, for it an edict written in the name of the king. And still with the king's ring cannot be revoked. How much more, sir, are we sealed with the Holy Spirit from the King of Kings? 
we have the indwelling Holy Spirit and it cannot be revoked by man or spirit. Jesus himself reminds of this in John 10, 27-29. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of, my, of the Father's hand. I feel somewhat saddened for those who believe that you know, their salvation is not secure. I remember a, years ago, uh, a co-worker tell, once telling me, Jesus said no one could snatch them out of his hand, but he doesn't say you can't jump out on your own. And not only is that an incorrect view of Scripture, you are weakening the power of a sovereign God if you believe it. Go and read the passages in the Old Testament mentioning the hand of God at work and see uh, if you detect any hint of weakness. We are not like this in God's hand, an open hand. We are like this, a closed hand in God's hand. And good luck to any who tried to pry those fingers open. I couldn't help small, draw a small parallel to some recent events with this passage. I do mean small. Do you, is it, does anybody remember hearing about uh, Oklahoma's football coach leaving a couple weeks ago? Anybody remember that? Lincoln Riley? Uh, I think it was on the news. But, you know, so the Oklahoma brings in they had this press conference, and with that is Bob Stoops. Uh, they name as the interim coach. And uh, Bob Stoops uh, speaks at the press conference, and all over social media, people were, were talking about what a great speech it was and how fired up they were and how they were ready to run through walls. You know, and as believer, this passage, think of it as Paul's press conference, should have us fired up and ready to run through walls because the love of the Father has so openly bestowed on us. If you don't have that assurance this morning, believe in Christ. He was nailed to a cross for our sins to endure the wrath of God so we would not have to face it even though we deserve it. Then He was raised from the tomb in three days to conquer death and to give us eternal life. God is drawing you to Himself. Put the faith He has given you in Him so that you, too, can be assured. I invite you to talk to one of our elders about this. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we just thank You so much for Your love. God, and uh, it's so unfathomable, Father. We cannot even wrap our minds, Father. Uh, it's impossible for us to do that, Father. But we just thank You so much for it. And, Father, that the fact that You can... Uh, Lord, you can and will preserve us, Father, and that those the things that we go through, Father, are not are there to help us to become more like your Son. Father, again, just thank you so much for your love and all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon audio from Meridian Church. 
please feel free to share this resource with others. We only ask that you do not alter the content in any way. Again, you can find more resources at meridianchurch.com.